everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ad Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joe Shellard from Ad Advance, and today I am joined by David Koshpasand. David, it's awesome to have you on the podcast, man. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Super a fan. I've uh, been listening to the podcast for quite some time and love all the, the content you post on LinkedIn. So thanks for having me here today. For sure. For sure. So for people who aren't familiar with you, kind of give us a quick background, what you did before, what you're doing now. Yeah, so I've been actually in the marketing game since I was like 17 years old and was actually hanging around with the entrepreneur at the time who was booking local shows and kind of fast forward into continuous and doing marketing and kind of entrepreneurial pursuits. Amazon is where I hit the ground in around 2017, was working for a game company and wearing a lot of hats, uh, but I really gained the understanding and the value of AMS is what you know they called it at the time. And then decided that I would get a lot of great experience working at an agency. So I was at Tenuity the past two years, gained a wealth of experience, and then transferred that into Hasbro, where I'm at now. We're really focusing on how can we take over market share in the toys and games industry. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yep. And you've been putting out a lot of great content. We connected on LinkedIn. Like It's just been fun seeing your perspective. Um, so one, one thing that we really wanted to talk through today is consumer behaviors and how this ties into your overall branding, how this ties into your marketing strategies. So David, maybe walk us through like consumer behaviors in general. How do you find it, define it? How do you start looking into it? Yeah. So I did this research, you know, I'm a, beyond a performance marketing manager, I'm a researcher and a strategist. And this became what I was teaching as an adjunct at Mary Baldwin. And typically we think about consumer behavior as the acquisition stage and, and what motivates customers then, but it's not only the acquisition, but it's the usage and disposal of activities and products or services. And you can even build a business around the disposal stage, like if you think about a thrift store. But ultimately, when we think about consumer behavior, it's a dynamic process. And those three pillars that I laid out involves many people. We have roles, you know, whether that's our friends or family, we're information gatherer versus the decider or the purchaser. Sometimes we wear multiple hats, and this happens over a course of time. So it could happen in hours or days or weeks. Sure. Um, and the thing that affects it, uh, which is really what we're interested in, is the psychological core, how we make decisions, and culture. And just to quickly break that down, and then we kind of riff on that. The psychological core is what we think about our motivation, ability, and opportunity. From a marketing perspective, uh, we have to understand that our attention, it's limited, selective, and it's divided, right? And that's, this is where it comes into play where we have to get our ads in front of people multiple times because people are distracted. We need to build that familiarity and that's gonna help motivate. In terms of decision-making, uh, there's this thing called problem recognition, which is the discrepancy between your actual and ideal state. Now, this can actually happen when a you know, friend's telling you about their experience on a vacation. You're like, oh man, how good would it for it be that I go to this vacation, right? Or sure. it could be as simple as coming in contact with the marketing stimulus is, is what we call it in you know, research. And it could be an ad that you see and it sparks, you know, uh, Todd, you know, will help alleviate stains on his shirt. And you're like, you know, I do every time I eat, I get stains on my shirt. This is a problem for me. You know, maybe <laughs> I should help, help solve this. So this is how we're walking in terms of culture. We're thinking about our normative uh, groups or reference groups, how we think about our values and our lifestyle and kind of the, some of the psychographics that we, we think about in terms of marketing. Sure. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. So maybe let's take some examples. I mean, you have a ton yeah. of awesome brands to work with. <laughs> so yeah. what, what would be a good brand that maybe we can use as an example? And then we can just kind of walk through all the different stages and how you how you look at them, how you review them, how you turn them into advertising strategy. Yeah, great. So let's use Play-Doh, for instance. Sweet. Uh, Play-Doh is a really wide recognized brand. Um but this is why even with an established brand, you still have to use marketing and Amazon ads to really push that uh, purchase down the funnel. It's the same reason why Coca-Cola still runs high level, you know, upper funnel ads. You know why? Because we want to create top of mind. So some, some theories that I want to pass by when we're talking about uh, Play-Doh, for instance, is when we talked about that, that MAO, motivation, ability, and opportunity. What we find is there's two different levels. There's low effort that you that you exert in terms of information search and consumer uh, purchasing, and then there's high effort. Now, typically in toys and games, it's a low effort type of purchase. Typically, it's it's a gift or it's for a birthday party, etc. But sure. there's some things that we know. There's a thing called the mere exposure effect. The mere exposure effect says that we prefer things that are familiar than not. So if you can create some more familiarity through ads, and that's like seeing it on Nickelodeon all the way sure. through a streaming ad and then, you know, a sponsored brand ad and then all the way to sponsored products, the more that we see it, the more that we're likely to commit because it's familiar, right? And then the fact that Play-Doh has high brand equity even adds to that. Yeah. Now, the second thing to also notice is that we create biases. So there's a confirmation bias that actually happens once we are exposed to something because we start to to prioritize it at an unconscious level. Sure. Um, and, and we know this in terms of like effectiveness. And then Dan Kaufman wrote the book where he was talking about system ones and system twos and emotional decision-making. Yeah, yeah. So from Play-Doh, right, we, we just don't rely on sponsored products, lower funnel conversion and say, hey, everyone knows about Play-Doh, right? Sure. Let's just rely on all the traffic to come in. And they'll just convert by themselves. In fact, why even run ads, right? But we know that's not how consumers behave. Um, we know that we need to create top of mind all the way from that Nickelodeon commercial, or maybe it's an OTT ad. We know that we need to follow up through sponsored brands, whether that's a sponsored brand video or sponsored brand headline ad, and then also making sure that that lower funnel sponsored product uh, is, is covered and is well defended, uh, both for our brand and then through conquesting through category terms of competitors. Sure, sure. And I love the approach too. And when you're thinking about it, because like, you're not just waiting for people to search for Play-Doh. And so it's trying to be top of mind, trying to, like with the confirmation bias too, like once they see it, they recognize it, it makes it, like, all right, if I'm looking for a toy for my kid, like, and I've got three kiddos, <laughs> yeah. we've got, we've got Play-Doh in the house. Like, if I'm looking for like, we've got Nerf guns in the office and immediately like we, we search for a Nerf gun. Like we search mm -hmm. for the brand itself when thinking of that type of product. Like, yeah, uh, I had some friends come over and their kids brought over PJ Masks and a bunch of yeah. different toys there. And it, it, it's just it's funny when I think of like, all right, something to, for the kids to play with and mold. I immediately think of Play-Doh hmm. or if they're, you know, little target practice Nerf guns. I, I, I even just, just described it as Nerf gun because I just <laughs> the, the brand is synonymous with the product. Um, right. and, and I think that's so cool with the upper funnel advertising or the TV ads that you're running, how that brand just gets stuck in my head when I'm thinking about those type of products. 
Yeah, and exactly. And when we go to a purchase decision uh, decision uh, model, right, there's two things that happen. We have an internal search and an external search. The internal search is where you start to think to yourself, what are the two to three brands that come to mind when I'm trying to solve this ideal actual state, right? And to your point, just like it comes straight to mind when, when you're thinking about Nerf guns or, or Play-Doh, like, and the modeling, the brand is what comes to mind. Now, if you wanted to satisfy that and you go to the external search, you already have this bias established and it's a positive bias because at the end of the day, when you have an activity or a product or service, the outcome is either gonna have positive or negative reinforcement. So sure. if, if you have a good experience, that's positive reinforcement, and then that's gonna live and carry through to you know lifetime value, which is good, it speaks to the product quality. So I think a lot of this experience is, is what we're trying to create lifetime value. And to your point, in, in popular brands, how much of attention and external search is going towards branded search versus non-branded? And then how can we also capitalize on that non-branded category um, search? And when that happens, is there a possible way to help build the, the brand familiarity prior to coming to that non-branded search. Cause you could have seen an ad, but then you still search like boy action figures, sure. right? Like you didn't fully commit to the brand just yet. And I think it's interesting that new feature uh, Amazon has been putting out that I've been seeing where to actually quantify how many units were sold last week. Yeah. Right. So what happens when you get put next to another product and you're living at the top four positions right outside of ads and you have the similar amount of quantity sold, right? Because yeah. it doesn't get very precise. And this is how I think you can start to build it a competitive advantage. Because if I have built some brand familiarity and we're coming to the point where there's a value exchange decision and we're starting to think about what are the deciding factors that are going in and out. So from a you know, the output from a brand is the product quality, the price, um, uh, the delivery system that Amazon's provided. But on the input, the customer is thinking, how much time have I spent? How much time do I want to spend more? What's the psychological, like, you know, distress that I've put through trying to find this product? If I'm familiar with something and it has good ratings and it has sure. the same quantity sold, I, I'll more likely convert on the thing I'm familiar with. And I think that's where the importance of staying top of mind, even up at upper funnel is working down. Then the second thing I'll say really quick that I thought was compelling was I saw a statistic where this is the first time that digital attention has exceeded linear TV. I saw that. Right. Isn't that cool? And I yeah. think we're, we're really living in that age where it's becoming more important, I think, to, to dive into OTT and to start to think about even, you know, OLV or different sure. ways for DSP is what we're describing to think about how can we reach customers in that mid to upper funnel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, yeah, it has been really interesting. I've just noticed me like psychologically as I'm going through and now I can see the units sold too. Mm, um, yeah. It's another piece that I definitely take into account and it's like, okay, there's social proof right there. They're selling a bunch more than these other products. It's got to be better. I've noticed myself and then it's like, okay, yeah. wait a second. Like I see what just happened there. And so it, it's really interesting because I feel like it's another key piece that Amazon's added that's going to inherently push those solid performers even more. It's going to drive the yeah. consumer even more to those products that have the high sales velocity from the start and help to even establish more moats around those people who have been able to drive that sales velocity and drive those really solid brands on Amazon. That's a great insight, man, because I, I felt the exact same way. It's only going to accelerate the, the bigger and the better towards more sales velocity. And 
the really the standing chance and is what we were talking about before is um, people are going to have to build some type of marketing in some communities outside of Amazon, the ecosystem sure. that will feed into it to stand a chance. Because if you built a, a cool niche brand that has a certain community and then you tell them, hey, you can purchase this through Amazon and you have 15 reviews or 100 reviews and you're standing next to somebody who has 30,000, yeah. um, that brand community is going to help convert. And it's going to be more efficient, but it's going to take some efforts outside of Amazon in order to make that work. And I think everyone's starting to understand that, you know, more and more and, and puts that into their overall marketing strategy. But I just wanted to, to pull in the research to show that, in fact, that people are building, especially low efforts, their attitudes and how they convert happens, you know, way before Amazon. And if you can help build some of that familiarity into their searching external search, the conversion will be a lot higher. And then, you know, speaking of like different tools that we can use information wise, like um, AMC, you know, utilizing AMC to, to determine the customer journey. And if you are putting a, a lot of marketing spend into Amazon, figuring out the right amount of exposures that you need in terms of like efficiency or effectiveness. Sure. Um, you know, some of the things that we've talked about before, like when we're like chatting back and forth on LinkedIn is like, you know, how to use AMC and, you know, how to optimize just the overall plan, um, I think could be a compelling ad for certain brands and agencies to work together on. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've done some previous podcasts on AMC. And for those who aren't familiar, it's Amazon Marketing Cloud. And essentially, it's a tool that allows us to pull these unique, we call them queries, but just think of like unique reports and unique data that can kind of tie together the customer journey from the initial ad that they saw all the way down to the purchase. And so it's been a really valuable tool for us to be able to quantify the impact of upper funnel strategies, which has been a lot harder previously. Because with the way that Amazon attribution works is it always takes the last click or the last view and attributes the sale to it. And so you can't just look at like your traditional ROAS numbers for upper funnel strategies and say, okay, this is my return. Usually it looks poor if you look at it just from a ROAS perspective, because usually those lower funnel strategies will get that sale attributed. So speaking of like metrics, so, you know, we've got AMC and we can better measure the impact. But if you're looking at like TV advertising itself or upper funnel brand building, some of the pushback we get is like, well, I can't quantify the impact. Like what, what are KPIs that you're looking at? And, you know, for like attribution, this is going to be tougher because you guys are, I go to Walmart and I buy a Nerf gun after seeing an ad, or if I see a DSP ad and then that's top of mind once I'm going through a store, like what are the key metrics that you're looking at for upper funnel advertising and that brand building side? Yeah, it's a great question. And just to establish first off, like there is an omni-channel effect that happens with, you know, CTV is what they call it, you know. For sure. And so let's let's just establish that. But outside of that, like really looking at that branded search volume. You know, the one thing I like when you utilize DSP campaigns is you can actually see that branded search and it can be significant. So we're sure. thinking about that part where exposure to comprehension to action. So during that exposure part, when they saw the ad, the comprehension part is where they stuck through it. And the action is actually, you know, searched your brand out. I think that could be compelling. I think new to brand sales can be compelling. Um, really starting to look at new customers that you're acquiring. And what's the cost of acquiring a new customer if they saw the OTT ad and converted? 
um, sure. utilizing that AMC to see if there was a pathway where they started at OTT and then they worked their way down the funnel to see if there was multiple exposures. Um, yeah. With OLV or even thinking about OTT, like looking at detailed page views, um, just to see was was there like, you know, how many page views came into to count action and consideration. I think, and of course we can start to, you know, measure and, and pull together what the reach could be from the start. And that could be compelling just to think about, you know, Brian Sharp said, the only way to grow your business is to talk to non-buyers, you know, sure. and we, you know, so we, we need to grow that future demand um, and try to have it consistent. So I would say really start to look at, you know, branded search volume. You can look through that at the DSP console. You can look at it even at the brand metrics where we're looking at, you know, in, inside the search ad console. Start to look at your new to brand, look at your uh, new customer acquisition, and then also look at the consideration taxes to see like how many people are actually viewing the page consequently. Sure. Sure. I love that. And I think you hit on a main point too, like for advertising, the key goal for us is not certain metrics. It's the key goal of an ad is to get somebody to purchase who wouldn't have purchased without seeing that ad or that series of ads. <laughs> That's right. the reason why we're advertising. If somebody was going to purchase anyway, then that ad doesn't have as much, it doesn't have any impact. But if you can reach other people who wouldn't have purchased with you without seeing those ads, that's why we run advertising and we invest so much. So what's your thoughts on like brand protection on Amazon? So if I come in and I search for GI Joes, mm -hmm. I, it, are you defending your brand <clears throat> throughout the search results or are you saying, okay, that's maybe cannibalizing some of the sales? How, how do you look at like overall brand defense campaigns? We get these questions quite a bit too. Yeah, I've, I'm a supporter of brand defense because I don't want to lose that sale to someone else. And then also, you know, there's 3P sellers who may look like your product and the customer doesn't know, right? So you could be losing market share to someone who looks similar, or you could be losing market share to a competitor, right? Because like I said, customers are exerting low effort most of the time, unless you're buying a car, or you're going to college, or you're buying, you know, $300 headphone sets or, you know, Beats by Dre, whatever the case, most, most efforts sure. are low. So if you think about it and you're coming into a situation, you're searching a brand and then you see a, a different brand and guess what? Those reviews are compelling. And then you get interested and you click through and you start looking and you go, well, maybe I'll just brand switch, right? Yeah. Because in loyalty, if loyalty is not high, brand switching can certainly happen. And we don't want that to happen, right? And, sure. and especially in, in toys and games, when we're thinking about different occasions like gifting, um, you know, brand switching could be high. We don't want that. You know, we, I can tell you this from an insider of Hasbro, there's so much scrutiny that goes into making sure the customer has the best experience possible from packaging to product yeah. that there's so much effort inserted. We want to lose that customer at the last moment. So I would, you know, advocate for that. There's reports that you can pull that, uh, that you can ask Amazon. They're actually show you how your brand stacks up to the peer set to help inform you of perhaps like spin mix about how much you should be doing, you know, branded versus non-branded spin, lean into that. And then also, you know, AMC, like I said, provide some data on first and last touch point conversions. So That's that, that, that could be, you know, an indicator for some people about like how to do the spin mix, but overall I'm an advocate. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds great. Yep. We're, we're totally aligned there too. And you, you spend so much time and effort on the product and the upper funnel strategies and the brand building. And like, why would you want to potentially lose them on that last yeah. step when they're so close to purchasing at that point? And so Absolutely. Yep, in, in general, we're, we're, we're totally advocates of it too. Um, 
as you're looking at the transition, as more people switch to digital sources and streaming TV and everything else like that, how how are you approaching that transition from more of the traditional advertising moving to the digital platforms? Like, are there there key focus areas? Is it multi-channel that you're starting to move? Is it more still focusing on linear TV and then more lower funnel strategies? Like, how how are you looking at that? And I'm just curious because I know a lot of people are definitely navigating those same same waters too. Yeah, I, I would, you know, I would say really look at your media mix. I think um, media right now is very fragmented in terms of customers' attention, even in digital. You know, they're they're on Instagram, they're on TikTok, you know, um, maybe Facebook when they're watching streaming TV while they're, you know, texting somebody else. Like, it's just all over the place. So in order to garner attention, I would say, first of all, like, diversify your media mix. Now, in terms of, like, traditional versus digital, the one part that I love about digital is we do get information, right? We do get sure. feedback on that data about how can we build an optimized plan. So I like leaning into more digital for that very aspect. Um, and I think there's a lot of benefit that can come long-term in terms of there's a lot of data to collect, but if you can figure out how to tell a story through it and to set proper objectives and goals and then really lean into focusing on. I think that's the benefit of the digital where I would uh, really push for. Sure. Sure. Yep. There's that measurability and then just the, all, all the different targeting that you can do too to find the right audiences who really resonate with your ads. There's a lot of key pieces that you have control and then can measure it throughout. And then, you know, you can use tools just like Amazon marketing cloud to then be able to track that all the way to the sale. We can use things like first touch attribution. So you can see like right. what brand building or those initial advertisements have the most impact. I was just talking yesterday with Matt, my co-founder, and we're analyzing the customer journey and really segmenting out the different types of ads. And like, there's standard overlap reports, but we're kind of taking that to the next level to see the impact. Like, okay, if you see this ad and then you see this ad and this ad, what's the likelihood that they're going to purchase? Um, there's so many different ways that you can kind of take that data and parse it out and see what really works and test it. Where on linear TV, you just don't get as much of that feedback. Back. And so that's what's really been fun for us is the measurability side on it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Spot on in that. And, you know, one one book I would recommend for everybody who who are in that creative space in the marketing upper funnel area is read this book called Red Marketing. It was written by the the CMO of and the, the CEO that that uh, is the head of I think they're called Yum Brands or focus on oh, sure. KFC and Taco Bell. Yeah. Really compelling book. And what it breaks down is what red stands for is relevant, ease, and distinctiveness. And it really breaks down in a, in a conversational way how to think about marketing. Um, and it would really guide that creative process. I, you know, I promise you, and, and it's time well worth spent for, for those who are working in the, the creative stage about how do I capture the attention and how yeah. do I push it forward into Amazon. That's awesome. That's awesome. So <clears throat> final question I've got for you, like, as I go through many of the brands, so like, you know, my little pony, so mm -hmm. 
I, as the adult, am usually going to be purchasing this, but my child needs to be really interested in it and pumped up about it. Like, how do you market to those two different segments at the same time? Or how do you take that into account when implementing into your advertising strategy? And is there one market that really matters? And then the other one, like the parents, maybe if my kid really wants it, then I'm going to go for it. Like, how do you approach that too, when you're really selling to two separate people at once? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. So at the beginning of it, I mentioned in consumer behavior, there's different roles that we all play. Yeah. And even that role when the kids saw that commercial on linear TV, like, you know, in the 90s, and we would go to mom and dad and be like, oh, my God, did you see this? It's amazing, <laughs> right? And yep. the parents can be like, okay, well, they got a birthday coming up, right? Or, or you know, Easter's coming up. And maybe that'll be something I'll look into, right? So the, the child is feeding the parent the interest. And, you know, that could be one way how I like to think about it. I think that behavior still stands today. I think right now it's just, it's happening on YouTube. It's happening on Firestick. It's happening on Netflix. And it's, there's a lot more different media channels that those sources are coming from. Whereas like when sure. me and you were like younger, you know, it was through TV, Right. Yep. Like that, that it was through one source and it can kind of be managed more. So I think the sources have diversified. But ultimately, I think that 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 kind of relationship between child and parents still happening. But ultimately, if we're thinking about like a franchise brand like My Little Pony, you know, most of the time that search is going to come through branded on Amazon. Sure. And that's where the focus would be from an advertising like Amazon perspective. Um, so, you know, that's I think that behavior hasn't changed. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, for people who want to find out more about you, David, where should they go? How should, how should they connect? You yeah, find me on LinkedIn. I, I think that's the best place. You know, I get information from you and, and some from other like top tier, you know, influencers in the space, honestly, and, and learn. And you guys, I, I give you credit, you pump out a lot of content. And I can only imagine like on top of running your own business, and uh, it's commendable, man. And it's all of it is really that. high value. Yeah, man. So thank you. And yeah, find me on LinkedIn, send me a message, you know, anything love to connect. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Yep. Definitely reach out, connect with David. Um, this has been an awesome podcast, a lot to take in. I'm honestly going to have to go back and listen to it again because he <laughs> had so many different pieces that were tying together and I love it. So really appreciate you, you taking the time to, to meet up. Joe, so, thanks, man. I love being on here. Thank you so much. For sure. And for all those who are listening to the Ad Project podcast, as always, we really appreciate you listening and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. 